read all of Psalm 84. Just headed for the choir director, on the get it, a psalm of the sons of Korah. This is God's holy word. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessing. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. A number of years ago, there was a, a 60 Minutes a special on Tom Brady, a famous NFL quarterback with many Super Bowls now, now playing as a, a 45-year-old um, in Florida. But this, uh, this 60 Minutes was after uh, his third Super Bowl, or you might say now only his third Super Bowl. Um, yeah, there was more to come, but he was asked about being sort of on top of the world, right? Having it all. Um, you can see this interview on, on YouTube still. And, and his response was, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? And he's saying this with a mark of disappointment. Um, there's got to be more than this, he said. And you can see... Uh, the, the, interview is a, the interviewer is a bit taken back and, and said, well, what's the answer? And, and Tom Brady simply said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And it's just an interesting illustration of someone who, with, with great wealth and, and the highest success, um, the greatest quarterback of all time, uh, arguably at least, and, and immense fame, health, and career, and healthy family, and so on. And, and in a, I'm not a Tom Brady expert, but in a as far as I know, uniquely revealing moment, uh, he concedes it's not satisfying. Really, there's there's something missing, something in him that wants more or something different out of life. And yet he has no idea what that might be. I think he's simply expressing what uh, St. Augustine famously expressed in his Confessions, Book 1, uh, centuries and centuries ago. Uh, what he said that, that applies to each of us. Augustine wrote famously this, You have formed us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Every, every thoughtful person longs for a purpose, for some goal, for satisfaction, for assurance that everything or maybe anything at all matters. That longing is only satisfied in God, the God who made us and redeems us, to be in God's presence, to know him as creator, to know his purpose for you, to know his forgiveness and acceptance of you. That's the sort of longing that's expressed in this psalm for God. 
um, as it opens here. Uh, so look, look at your outline with me in your bulletins. You'll look first at this longing for the presence of God. Uh, so you'll see in the heading to the psalm, again, it's written by the sons of Korah, just a note about, about that. Uh, the sons of Korah were Levites who were appointed to sing uh, in, the, in the temple, uh, but not only sing, but to write psalms. So you read about this in, in First and Second Chronicles. David appointed uh, Korah and Asaph and others and their sons as sort of psalm writing workshops uh, to write psalms on his behalf. So David wrote most of the psalms. He is the appointed song leader of Israel. Uh, but he appointed others who, Levites, who wrote songs on his behalf as well. So we, that's why we have some of these in the psalter, uh, too. And so the psalms, um, whether David wrote or these Levites wrote, often speak about the temple. Uh, this is where the Levites worked. Um, and here, this psalm pictures Israelites join, journeying to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple. Uh, probably picturing a, one of the feast times, Passover, or one of the other major feasts. Uh, where, where Jews would travel from all over um, Israel to the temple, to Jerusalem. And so it begins with this eagerness to be there. So it begins far away uh, from worship of the temple. Uh, the first few verses speak of uh, God's dwelling places, his courts, his house. This is the temple. Right? And it says, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. There, there's something beloved and, and beautiful to those who are singing my soul longed, even yearned for the courts of the Lord, or that is sometimes translated faints for the courts of the Lord. It's describing something beyond just an intellectual desire for the temple, but it's it's affecting him physically, emotionally. Uh, he's, he's fainting for the temple, um, like an appetite. Well, well, why is this? Why this longing to be at the temple? Uh, what's the significance? Well, it's not just the temple itself. It's it, it was the temple was beautiful uh, by by all descriptions. It had trees around. It was something of a park around the temple. We, we might describe it as. But the psalmist is looking through the temple, past the physical temple, uh, to the infinitely greater beauty of what it symbolized, what it made visible, which was the presence of God with His people. The psalmist knows that uh, God is everywhere. Right, all the time. Uh, but the temple was, was a visible affirmation of God's presence among them, like nothing else was. It was, as Hebrews says, a physical copy in some way of, of God's heavenly throne. Right? It's where God met with his people in a special way at the temple. And they gathered for worship. It's where they gathered to be taught about God and about his ways and to receive his forgiveness. That's why it's so beautiful to those who are singing this, this psalm. It's, we can compare this to Psalm 48. Our, our psalm of the month last month was Psalm 48. And uh, we read in that psalm that these superlative descriptions of Jerusalem as a whole, it, it, it sounds in that psalm like it's the biggest, most important, most beautiful, most powerful, most secure city in the world. Which, of course, it wasn't at all. Any of those things outwardly, necessarily, uh, but it was because in Psalm 48, it's the city of God. It's God's. It's the city that he loves and protects. It's where he, he uh, shows himself to his people and cares for them. So because the temple is, is a symbol of the special presence of God and God's blessing through his appointed means of worship and uh, 
the sacrifices and forgiveness and all, the, the psalmist longs for it uh, like nothing else. Um, part of that longing for many of the Israelites is that a visit to the temple was temporary, and it was occasional. Right? The vast majority of Israelites didn't live in Jerusalem or even right around Jerusalem, so it was something very occasional for them to experience God's grace at the temple. Um, when I was young, there were certain things that were very special to me, but they were very, they were very occasional. That was part of their specialness. And, uh, you know, a place I went for a brief time and, and had a ton of fun and, and then had to leave. And I remember thinking as, as a child about some of these places, I was just amazed that some people got to live in those places or work there, you know. Uh, like, we, we'd go skiing occasionally. I was just amazed that people got to, to work there, you know. And now it seems like it'd be pretty boring to work a, a lift line, but that's how I thought as a kid. Or, or we, we went to family camp. I had a, a camp in the Laurel Mountains in Pennsylvania. It was a beautiful spot. So it's very sad to leave, and I just thought, man, it's amazing that some people get to live there and work there year-round. Well, that's kind of the psalmist's attitude here in, in verse 3 and 4. In verse 3, he envies even the birds. In the NAS that I read from, it's, it's a little hard to tell exactly what he's saying, but it's clear he's envying even the birds that find uh, nests in, in the cracks in the temple. That there are even birds that get to live there, and the psalmist doesn't. Um, and then in verse 4, he, he envies, in a sense, the, the Levites who live in the house and praise God at the temple all the time. He's thinking, what, what, a, what an incredible blessing that would be. Uh, and that's something expressed repeatedly in the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 4 says, One thing, David says there, one thing I have asked. You think about that. This is David's one wish. We, sometimes we associate that with a genie or something, right? A genie pops up and you've got one wish, maybe three wishes. But the point is, you know, you think carefully. This is, this is your one wish. And David says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and this is what I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That, that would be David's dream, that we go live at the temple. I want, to, I want you to have some questions in your mind as we go through this psalm this morning. Uh, what do you long for? Or what are you waiting for? Uh, where does your mind go when you're discontent or when you want to be somewhere else? Uh, not our highest longing to be for the presence of God. And secondly, I want you to consider this question, how does this longing apply to us in the New Testament? We don't have a temple anymore, right, by God's design. And we know God is everywhere. And people worship Him all over the world. How, how does this apply to us in the New Testament? Well, a couple of ways, a couple of connections or applications as we think about this and go through this psalm. Well, one would be simply to our, our corporate worship on the Lord's Day, uh, as, as we're gathered right now. Um, this is one of the many passages that, that supports the, the doctrine that we would say is that the special presence of God. The idea of the special presence of God. Some of you kids probably know the, some of the kids' catechism, the children's catechism. One of the early questions there, very simple, is where is God? The answer is everywhere. Right? It's a pretty easy catechism. Uh, God is everywhere. Um, the psalmists know that. Uh, 
But often the Psalms speak about going, coming into God's presence, going out of God's presence. Uh, Lord, don't take your presence away from me. Or uh, being at the temple is better than being away at the temple. So why, why do they speak about being in or out of God's presence? Again, it's not because the Psalms don't understand that God is everywhere. Psalm 139, there's nowhere we can go to escape God's infinite knowledge of us. But rather, it's, there, there's a special presence of God with his people as they gather for worship using his means of grace, hearing his word and praying to him and receiving his forgiveness. That happened particularly at the temple uh, in the Old Testament. And so we might think, ask today, does God still appoint that his people gather in his special presence, in a sense, with, with promises attached to gathering and praying and singing and hearing his words? Uh, and the answer is yes. You, you and I cannot neglect God's means of grace and expect to grow in grace, to grow in our faith. Um, if you love God, if you desire to grow in that, you love Gathering for worship with God's people, uh, as his people have always done. Um, where the gospels proclaim to you, God's promises are, are affirmed to you. Uh, and, and the love and satisfaction of Christ are, are visibly affirmed and applied in the Lord's Supper or in baptism. So your longing for God ought to include a longing for public worship, gathering for worship with, with God's people. Um, a Christian who doesn't attend or love worshiping with God's people and hearing his word and bringing prayers together is, is, is sort of an oxymoron. Um, second, a second way we might think about this psalm in terms of application to us as we go through it is, is its, uh, its ultimate fulfillment is in heaven. Um, we still don't experience the fullness constantly and, and perfectly of the presence of God. Right, That awaits us in heaven or in the new earth, the newer heavens and the new earth. Um, we get a taste of that in a sense every every week when we gather together. We're here with the family of God and we're singing praises to God, um, hearing from Him. Our, and our taste, even though we get to do that weekly, it's not just twice a year like maybe the psalmist is singing this from Galilee or something. Um, it's not just limited to Jerusalem, but it's still just occasional. Even that taste. It is just once a week. We still don't, in the fullest sense, dwell in the house of the Lord continually. Right? Enjoy the rest and peace of God's special presence and His full rest all the time, perfectly. That, that still awaits Christ's return. Um, and the ultimate fulfillment of that will are bodily being with Jesus Himself. Right? Uh, Jesus' coming was, was a fulfillment of the temple. More than the temple being a symbol of God being with his people, uh, Jesus was and is. And, and Revelation 21 says, uh, John says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And those, those last, these last two applications, these thoughts are, are really related. Part of the reason the Lord's Day is important uh, is, is it orients us each week Lord's Day, we are oriented to our ultimate journey that our lives are on. We're oriented to who we are and where we're headed ultimately. We, we find in the Psalms, both of those, long, the longing for the, the actual little historical temple, but also being with God 
eternal life. Um, Psalm 23 is a good example of that. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, the psalm goes on to speak then also of the journey to get to the temple. So we're, we're, there's really a very logical progression in this psalm. It begins with this longing to be there. And then verses 5 to 7 describe the journey to the temple. Look at verse 5, uh, which says, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And that's where he desires to be. And he's, he's getting on the highway now, if you will. That the blessing of those who look to God as, as their strength and have their hearts set on being in his presence and, and worship. Uh, and that's needed, that strength is needed because verse 6 describes passing through the valley of Baca. Passing through the valley of Baca. Baca is left untranslated there um, because nobody knows for sure what it means. Um, is, it a, is it a place name or is it a... a it's sort of a, a description of what this valley is like. Um, certainly it's, it's some kind of a figurative place along the journey. Um, the context here is, is the journey through, it's dry, it's desert as we continue going on here. Um, so at least figuratively, it's, it's figurative of a dry place, a, a desert, a difficult time on the journey. The Valley of Baca is, is going through a desert. The, the word, um, I have a note here in the NAS, maybe you do in your Bible as well, that the, the word is related to uh, weeping, the, the Hebrew word for weeping. And so it's a desert, it's perhaps a place of weeping, it's, it's certainly a difficult time. It's being uh, pictured here, the Valley of, of Suffering, of weeping, and yet, uh, the psalm describes those who go through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, this desert, as being blessed in, in two ways. The, look at the two ways. Verse 6 first goes on. They're passing through the valley of Baca. They make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessing. So in, in the psalmist's imagery, there's this desert, this difficult time, is transformed by the people of God. Hard circumstances are, are transformed by hope and even joy by those whose strength is in God. Verse 5. And I just want you to reflect on how, how rain can, can transform a place. This is, uh, seems appropriate this morning. We got like an inch and a half of rain in my house last night, uh, which, is, which is really cool to watch. But I want to I tell a different story um, to illustrate this. Uh, one of the most important water sources in the whole nation, of course, is the Colorado River. Uh, and a hundred years ago, um, there were a number of people relying on the Colorado River all uh, in its whole length, people in the thousands. Um, but things have changed a lot till today. Uh, for one thing, there's unbelievable amount of agriculture that draws from the river. 5.5 million acres, it said. Uh, over 1,500 miles that draws water. And then the river is also used just for everyday water like you and I use. There, there's Lake Mead and Lake Powell that the river forms. And 40 million people uh, have their straws, as it were, in, in, in the Colorado River. Um, in addition to that, the, the river has changed. The climate has changed in the west. Uh, the, the Colorado River Compact was signed by the seven states that 
use water from the drainage 100 years ago, 1922, exactly 100 years ago. And the Colorado River Compact was made around the measurement that the river produces 20 million acre-feet of water per year. Uh, and today, and for decades, the river has been, before anyone takes anything out of it, it's producing 12 million acre-feet of water. So, you know, millions and millions more people with their straws in it, and the river is is shrinking. And so it's changed a lot. My, my point here is the the river used to go roaring into the Pacific Ocean in Mexico, uh, below California. Uh, but for decades now, the Colorado River doesn't get anywhere near the Pacific Ocean. It's 10 or 12 miles uh, before where it used to make the Colorado River Delta, which was a you think of the Mississippi Delta, it's not nearly that big, but uh, it was a place of aquatic life and birds and plants and, and a lively place. Uh, it's all dead, desert now. So the Colorado River becomes a trickle and dries up in the sand 12 miles from the Pacific Ocean uh, for many years now. Um, but in 2014, the, the U.S. government, the Mexican government, agreed to this extraordinary relief, temporary release of water just that summer. Uh, to see if the river would reach the Pacific again. And for a few short weeks in 2014, that summer, the river reached the Pacific again. Uh, and, and it amazingly kind of sprang to life. Grasses and flowers and people were flocking to the river to, to swim where there hadn't been a river for their whole lifetime. Um, it was brought to life by that, by that water. I think it's a fascinating story, and it, it illustrates well something of what this, this psalm is saying. The psalm pictures part of this journey as going through a desert, a difficult time, a place of tears. Again, I think the psalm illustrates well the, the journey of our whole lives to the ultimate presence of God. It anticipates our, our arrival at, at the ultimate fulfillment of what the temple was, and being with God in the person of Jesus particularly forever. And our own journey to that heavenly temple includes facing valleys of Baca, right? Deserts, suffering, tears. The psalmist, the psalm illustrates that even on the journey, God is faithful to bring blessing. He brings rain. He brings transformation. Not, not erasing the hard things, not making life easy, but, but bringing those places, those times that the rest of the world simply sees as desert and tears. Bringing joy and trust and faith. Know that it says they, this is the people journeying to the temple. They make it a spring. It, it's something the people of God do uh, together in the way it's described here. As, as we live and serve and study and, and worship together, some things ought to be transformed by God through us. They become a spring. There's, there's some refreshment uh, in life in the midst of hard things, uh, like rain, uh, bringing blessing even in deserts. So that's the, 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 that's the first way that, that these traveling through the Valley of Baca are described as blessed. The second is verse 7, and being strengthened by God. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. Now, of course, outwardly, we, we go from weakness to weakness in our lives, right? We get weaker and weaker uh, physically 
And as we attempt life in our own strength, that's the reality. We go from weakness to weakness. But for those who are eager for God, who look to Him for strength, whose faith is in Him, in the resurrection, who are hoping not in this life, but in eternal life in Christ, they go from strength to strength. That is, from, from greater and greater faith and trust and joy and assurance and resolve. That, that's the reality for, for Christ's people. Outwardly, physically, again, our lives get dimmer and dimmer, weaker and weaker. But God often uses this, this sort of language uh, to encourage us as we draw nearer to heaven, as we draw nearer to the new creation. Uh, Proverbs 4, verse 18, for example, uh, describes the path of destruction that gets darker and darker. And it says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Uh, John 1.16, John says, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Our Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, we all are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That, that's an amazing statement, amazing imagery. Uh, or think of, uh, we just studied, finished studying Habakkuk. Think of Habakkuk chapter 3, and, and despite the fact that Habakkuk learns the Babylonians are coming, and um, their food sources are going to be decimated, and Habakkuk is getting older and weaker, how does he describe himself in the very last verse of that book? As a, as a deer on the mountains, right? Like a, a confident, strong, young deer. Or Isaiah 40, then. We noted in that connection as well, that they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be here. They shall walk and not faint. That's what the psalmist is saying here, from strength to strength. Again, as for the pilgrim Israelites, our, our temporary and occasional tastes of heaven that we experience here, maybe particularly on the Lord's Day, surely are to teach us to find our strength in God, to set our hearts on the path to Zion, and to strengthen us for this journey. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, and whose heart of the highways to Zion. The person who experiences the blessing of God like rain in the desert, again, despite suffering, goes from strength to strength, strength to strength. That's, that's where his heart is headed. Does that, does that describe you? You have highways to the new creation to heaven in your heart. We'll look next, uh, very briefly, as we go through the progression here, the psalmist's plea uh, for acceptance in the presence of God. So where have we been? This, it begins with this longing to be at the temple, and then there's the journey to the temple that's through the valley of Baca, and yet there's refreshment along the way. And then verses 8 and 9 is really the arrival. Uh, the, the pilgrims arrive. Verse 8 says, O Lord, God of hosts, hear our prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Uh, this is the request for acceptance, to, to be heard. I think this is the, the arrival, like knocking on the door now of the temple. Lord, we're here. Receive us. Hear our prayer. But look where the, the, the singers direct their attention, direct God's attention for this acceptance. Verse 9. Behold, or, or look at, our shield, O God. What does he mean by that? Look upon the face of your anointed. 
the, the shield and the anointed are the same one. So that the psalmist arrives at the temple now. Lord, we're here. Lord, hear our prayer. Look at our shield. Look at your anointed. The anointed is, is God's chosen one. And most often in the Old Testament, the king. And this, this is appropriate in, in the fact that we know the kings uh, sometimes led processions of, of Israelites, of pilgrims, through Jerusalem up to the temple at, at these feast days. So he, he was there with them, representing them. Uh, the king was the leader of the Israelites. He was the, the worship leader of Israel. Uh, and beyond that, Israel was dependent on God's blessing uh, of his anointed, of, of his king. His, his acceptance before God was crucial for the whole nation. And he, you know, as, as the king went, so the people went. And you can read examples of that again and again in the Old Testament. And the kings were not faithful to God. And they turned away from him. Things went badly for the whole nation. And likewise, God blessed and protected his people uh, when the kings were faithful, uh, when they relied on him. Uh, but none of those kings were perfect. Right? None of them were without sin. None of them provided a basis, really, for forgiveness or acceptance in God's family. And, and all of them died. And so this psalm necessarily anticipates the anointed one, who would forever make his people acceptable before God. And again, we saw this in Habakkuk chapter 3, but the, the word, the Hebrew word behind the anointed here is Messiah. This is... Messiah. And all of the lesser messiahs in the Old Testament, the kings, they were pointers to the Messiah, right? the final Messiah. And so in this psalm, the people asked for acceptance at the temple based on the king, based on God's promises to and acceptance of the Messiah. Maybe you've been to an event, to a, a country club or a fancy dinner or a club seats at a Rockies game, or something like that, somewhere where you didn't have any membership, you didn't have any admittance by yourself, you're only there at the invitation of a member, so when you arrive and someone asks for your credentials, so why, why are you here, you point to that person, I'm with him, right, he's a member, he belongs here, but we have the same prayer for access to God's presence and heaven, Lord, look at Jesus, it's nothing in me. We have no right to access aside from him. We're, we're united to the anointed one, the Messiah. And we can enjoy the presence of God because of that. You're probably, some of you are familiar with the, the diagnostic questions from Evangelism Explosion, um, which are very helpful ways to just, in a quickly, quick and friendly way, uh, gauge someone's understanding of the gospel. Really, and they're, they're standing before God. So the, the most well-known one is if you were to die tonight uh, and stand before God, and he would say to you, why, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What's the answer? Right, that's the simple question. And uh, I, I've you know, used this a number of times um, in evangelism, and, and the answer I usually hear is that the person you're talking to immediately pulls out their, their spiritual resume, right? I've done this, 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 or I haven't done that, not that, right? Or I'm, I'm a member here, or my parents are a member there. This is, this is who I am. This is why I'm worthy, right? The, the biblical answer to that question points to Jesus. Lord, look on our shield. He is worthy. He paid for my sins. He is the perfect Son of God. I'm here because of Him. There's nothing worthy in me at all. 
I'm here because of him. I was your enemy, Lord. Well, the psalm concludes then with marvelous statements of the blessing of God's presence. Uh, again, ultimately fulfilled to us in, in the new heavens and the new earth. Look at uh, the last few verses in number four on your outline. It's expressed in several ways. Verse 10, uh, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. So the psalmist has longed for the temple, he's journeyed there, he's knocked on the door, and God's received him because of his Messiah. Now he's reflecting on this. I would rather stand at the threshold of the, God, the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The tents of wickedness would stand for all that this world has to offer, right out, outside of the Lord. Uh, and, and the psalmist expresses his desire just, just to be at the threshold, just, just to be on the fringe of the temple, right? just, just outside, having no status or importance there, not a special place. Just have a lowly place at the edge of the temple. That, that's how he values what God, what, what the temple symbolizes. Really, really God himself. There's a lot more that's attractive to many people that's more impressive in the, the tents of wickedness, if you will. I mean, how many people would, would look at you and think, why are you up early on a Sunday morning? You know, sit in this little old building and, and give your time and money to, to old silly rituals and, and songs. Look at the, all there is to pursue out here. And the sons of Korah here would say, just to, just to be out in the parking lot and hear the songs of Zion rising to God. Or to hear the, the, the prayers of God's people rising to the throne of grace. That would be a thousand times better than, than anything else we could be doing. And, and I would suggest maybe um, that the effect of 1,000 here, the number 1,000 is kind of worn off in the modern world. Um, 1,000 is, is the number that's here in Psalm 84, but conceptually, I think that would have been much bigger to, to Hebrews thousands of years ago, uh, if, if only in part because we have uh, technologies and, and uh, information that put huge numbers in front of us all the time. Um, if you think of just about the fact that that calculation in the ancient world was largely fingers and sticks. You know? uh, maybe a better conceptual translation will be a billion. Be a billion times. I mean, it's, it's, it's meant to be almost, I mean, in, infinite. Does that describe how you assign value to being in God's family? And the privilege of worshiping God uh, against all this world has to offer. The psalmist closes with several descriptions of the, the blessing God gives and will give uh, in the fullness of heaven, things that we can long for and joyful assurance as we go on our journey uh, through the valleys of Baca. Uh, verse 11, for the Lord God is sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For the sake of time, we'll just comment on that last phrase there. God, God gives good things beyond your need in this life. But in eternity, uh, there will be nothing withheld from you. Have you ever thought of eternity with God in that way? That you, you will have no desires. It will be the end of desire. You won't feel that you're left 
without anything that you might want or wish that you had. Here, here these similar promises, Psalm 34, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Matthew 6, seek this, the words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things you might worry about in this life will be added to you. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So Christians, as you continue on your journey and hope of the full presence of God, as you face weariness, dryness, valleys of Baca, God will refresh like streams in the desert, especially as we are together. Encourage each other as you face temptation. Know that God's way and the goal of your salvation is, is a billion times better than anything else you could choose. As you face trouble, uh, turn to the God who gives grace and glory and everything good. And he will take you from strength to strength. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these uh, assurances or reminders uh, this morning. This picture of the way that you uh, receive and strengthen your people. Pray that you would give us reflection on these things today and in the coming week. That we would, despite our weaknesses and uh, the failings of our body and our will, that we would uh, look to you for strength and joy. That you would give us the highways to heaven uh, in our hearts. We thank you for this, your word, this morning. Pray your application to our, our hearts and our lives uh, in Christ and for his sake.